This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger. Here are a few things I know to be true. Fact one. Vancouver is a service town. The bulk of the film and television work that happens in this city is in service of American productions. While we do have some dynamic, homegrown productions in Vancouver, in Canada, the bulk of that kind of production happens in Toronto. Vancouver is a production hub for Hollywood studios and networks. And what happens in Hollywood impacts Vancouver cast and crews. Fact two, Hollywood actors are on strike. Hollywood writers were on strike for 146 days before announcing a tentative agreement with the AMPTP on September 24th. These strikes have brought much of Hollywood to a standstill. These unions are fighting existential battles. They are brave and they are standing firm and how the strike ends will impact the industry for years to come. Fact three. Vancouver screenwriters and actors who are not members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA have not been on strike. But because Vancouver is, as we have already established, a service town, our writers and actors, and basically everyone involved in our local screen scene, are nonetheless impacted by these strikes. At the moment, there are only a handful of productions currently filming in Vancouver. Some MOWs, some Canadian productions, and One Calls the Heart, which is filming under an interim agreement it received from SAG-AFTRA. This lack of productions means that Vancouver cast and crews are, for the most part, not working. So while our local industry is not technically on strike, the strike has brought our local industry to a standstill. Today, we're going to examine the impact of these strikes and also identify ways that people outside of the industry can support impacted film workers. But before we do, I want to make sure that my intent with this episode is clear. Examining the impact of the strike on the Vancouver film and television industry is not the same as condemning it. I am pro-union and pro-labor action and very much in support of the unions. I'm also sympathetic with film workers on both sides of the border who are experiencing hardship during this labor action. Both things can be true. Both things are true. This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is our fall season opener, and this season is going to look a little different from previous seasons because the Vancouver film and television industry looks a lot different right now. For one thing, many UBCP ACTRA members, even those who are not SAG-AFTRA members, 
are choosing to refrain from promoting their new work in solidarity with SAG-AFTRA, which means that I have a long list of actors who will be coming on to talk about work that is being released now as soon as the strike is over. That doesn't mean we don't have anyone to talk to in the meantime. Far from it. In the coming weeks, we'll be hearing from directors with film screening at the Vancouver International Film Festival and voice actors and people working to make this industry more accessible. More importantly, I don't want this episode to be our one and done strike episode. I'd love to feature strike stories over the course of the season, as long as the strike is going to last. If you work in the Vancouver film and television industry, please consider sharing your strike story with us. In a voice memo, tell us who you are, what you do in the industry, and how the strike has impacted you personally. What are your feelings with regards to the issues at the heart of the strike? You can send your stories to sabrina at yvrscreenscene.com and we'll feature as many as we can throughout the season. We're going to start with one such story today from indie filmmaker and background performer Michelle Muldoon. We're also going to hear from a couple of union representatives about how the strike is affecting their union's members and from a local photographer who's turning his lens on film workers who've been impacted by the strike. Please note that the interviews were conducted before the WGA and AMPTP announced the tentative agreement on Sunday night. They still contain relevant info that people who care about BC film need to hear. Before we move into today's episode, here's one final thing I know to be true. Even in this time of labor action, the heart of Vancouver's film and television industry continues to beat in the form of the people who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Even when they're not working on set. And we here at the YVR Screen Scene Podcast will continue to listen. Join us in this work. My name is Michelle Muldoon, and as an apprentice member of UBCP, that's the Union of BC Performers, I do mostly background work in the city. In a typical non-strike year in the fall, I would work pretty much every week, and I would work up to three days a week, and it would run consistently right through to December. You cannot overestimate the impact of the sag after strikes and the WGA strikes in Vancouver. As far as the background performers are concerned, at this time of year, we would see uh, five or six times the amount of productions with big budgets. And by that, I mean shows from Netflix and American broadcasters, Paramount, Amazon, and a host of other opportunities. Uh, currently, we're seeing uh, productions in town from SAG after waivers, that's independent film. We're seeing MOWs and Canadian productions. And while I know all the background performers are grateful for whatever days we get right now, there is no denying there is significantly less opportunity to work. And some background performers I know haven't worked for months. The SAG after strike and the WGA strike have been personally devastating for me. Uh, last year, I had continuity on several shows, and I worked a lot throughout the year, not just in fall. And I made probably half my income, half my annual income off of background work. Uh, this year has been a totally different story, and it's been a lot of scrambling for me personally. What are my feelings towards the SAG after and WGA strikes? Good question. I think they're absolutely necessary. 
there's so many important, important uh, conversation points around why they're striking. Uh, for the writers, things like mini room sizes, for both writers and actors, residuals. Uh, but at the heart of it all, we cannot put anything above the issues around AI. That, that doesn't mean there aren't places to use it within the industry. But when you look at it from the perspective of the background performer, well, I think there's some big red flags. Background performers are ultimately the canaries in the coal mine of this whole issue. Uh, they'll start cutting us out in deep background. That's those fuzzy parts where you don't really see us, but you know we're there. And then slowly it's going to move forward as the technology improves, which, by the way, is probably about a year ahead of what we think it's at. Once they reduce background significantly in uh, in the show, they're going to start, you know, they're going to start with one-liners. You know, day players are, and acting day players are going to be on the chopping block too. But here's the problem. If there's less of us as background performers on a set, there are less PAs. Maybe you don't need a tad to help place us or a third to help AD to help place us. You don't need as many uh, people in the costume department. You don't need as many people in hair and makeup. Uh, craft services and curating are going to purchase less uh, foodstuffs from local suppliers. Uh, the list is kind of going to go on and on. There will be less crew on set with less background. And here's the thing. Once you start cutting us out, you start cutting some crew out. There's less money coming into the province. There's less taxable income filling the province's coffers. Uh, the industry is going to have to um, shrink as far as boots on the ground. And after all of this, what you're going to see is how it impacts union membership. Because a lot of background performers um, – use background as a means towards full union membership at UBCP. Uh, PAs uh, go through uh, their programs to work towards membership with the DGC. Um, all of these things are going to get impacted. So uh, do I think that AI is a thing, a discussion that has to be dealt with now? Absolutely. Because by the time we leave it, it's going to be so far ahead of us, it's going to be difficult to claw anything back. I think the positive to this experience has been a realization by everybody from crew to background to performers of how much we love being on set and how grateful we are when we get work. Uh, it really does uh, shine a light on, on what it is that we love about this, which you don't normally get when you're really just thinking about what you have to bring to your next gig tomorrow. As far as filling the time, well, I still work part-time and I'm still looking at other work opportunities to help fill the gap. Uh, normally, um, as a writer-director of independent film, I don't have a lot of time to write funding applications. Uh, now I do. So I've been able to try and push some of my own projects forward. And, uh, and that's just one way to fill the time. I think people would be really surprised at how hard the crews and teams in film and television work in British Columbia. Uh, for us, a 12-hour day is an average day. Uh, 8 to 10 is a short day. 12 to 16 hours is not an uncommon day. Uh, for crews that are consistently on a show, that's five or six days a week of 12 to 16 hours. They work exceptionally hard. For background performers, uh, if you're working, you know, two, three days a week, you're still working two, three days of 12 to 16 hours sometimes. And because they're on different shows, there's no required turnaround time. Uh, 
Last year, for instance, I worked on a show overnight for 16 hours. I got a half hour sleep. I picked up a different go bag and I went to do another 10 hours on another show. It is hard, enjoyable, rewarding work with really great, passionate, creative people, but it is hard work. IOTSI 891 represents more than 10,000 motion picture workers throughout British Columbia and the Yukon and is the largest IOTSI local in North America. Crystal Braunworth is the business representative for IOTSI 891, and she joins us today to speak about the impact of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA labor action on IOTSI 891 members and on our local industry. Crystal, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How would you characterize the impact of the WGA and SAG after labor action on the Vancouver film and television industry to date? Well, it, it's had uh, quite a heavy impact, and I, you know, that can't be understated. Um, we are, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we are a local of uh, ten thousand workers, and uh, we have. Uh, approximately 400 of those workers um, that are employed currently. So um, <laughs> we we are a foreign service production hub, right? So 80% of the work that comes through IATSE is um, foreign production. And so when that uh, disappears because, you know, we use SAG actors and we use um, WGA writers, um, <clears throat> really, we have to lean into the domestic market, which is a lot smaller here. Um, and they tend to, um, you know, they tend to go uh, non-union um, some of the time, um, you know, for obvious reasons, budgetary constraints, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it, it's had a real heavy impact on our membership. And how are the how are your members dealing with it then? You know, what resources are available to members who are experiencing, I would imagine, financial hardship, mental health hardships as a result of this labor action? You know, from 2016 onwards, um, our industry has experienced an upward climb. Um, we have grown. Uh, we grew in in one year by doubling our numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and so going from 5,000 to 10,000 members in a very short period of time means that we have a lot of members who've never experienced what used to be a very cyclical industry. Mm. Um, we haven't experienced that. Even our tenured members haven't experienced that for, for over a decade. Um, and so when these moments come, a lot of our members can take it in stride um, and can revert back to, okay, this is going to be a cyclical moment in our industry. Um, but a, a lot haven't experienced that. And so there is a lot of, uh, you know, there is a lot of financial concern. Um, our health benefits are based on what we call, what we have is called an hour bank system. And so um, your hours worked directly impact um, your, your health care. Hmm. Uh, and your your ability to stay on our healthcare, and so we have um, a very a, a very small pocket of our membership that um, are going to be off the healthcare plan. And and I know the health trustees. I am on the health trust as well. But you know, all five of us are are working on strategizing ways, and we have um, brought some relief uh, in that area to members. Um, 
but it's you know it, it's it's not enough right now and unfortunately of course we can't control uh the strikes um we know why they're striking it mm -hmm. it is for good reason and we stand in solidarity with them um and at the same time you know they're in the same boat as we are uh everyone is struggling and so you know i know for 891 we have um uh, we have a financial and mental health resources list um, you know, I can go through some of those. We have a thousand mm. dollar one-time, um, loan, um, no interest. Uh, we have the, um, IATSE member assistance program that's called the MAP program for, um, members who don't receive this coverage, um, elsewhere. Um, it offers mental health, financial, physical, and emotional support services and provides members with confidential, uh, as well as bilingual assistance. Um, the Actors Fund, I know everyone's talking about the AFC, um, and they provide up to uh, $2,000 based on financial need, specifically for um, entertainment workers. And that's really where the bulk of our uh, financial support is going. So we um, we support the AFC quarterly um, uh, and, and have bumped up that um, financial support because we recognize that that is you know, that is an area where we can um, get get money back into members' pockets. I mean, $2,000 doesn't cover mortgage or rent given inflation and what's happening with, um, you know, what's happening with mortgages that aren't fixed right now. Um, but to that point, we also have a relationship with um, the credit union. So Van City and Community Savings have both expressed interest in, in helping our members, even if they're not currently members. Um, with mortgage, uh, with mortgage structures, etc. So um, we do have those resources available at the hall as well, um, if people are are interested. Um, BC211.ca. Um, it's a confidential service that the United Way uh, provides. Um, it connects folks to resources very specific um, in their community, in their region, and for whatever issue they're dealing with. And then, of course, we have the um, the resources from Government Canada. There is resources uh, to help people who are affected uh, by strikes or lockouts. Um, mm. So there is a bit of financial help there. Uh, the Government of Canada has a really great tool called the Benefits Finder. Um, if you fit into certain categories, there could be benefits there as well that you could qualify for. Um, and uh, lastly, um, we do have uh, a, a couple of um, options for uh, members who are also uh, displaced by the wildfires. So we have the Civic Foundation um, that will reimburse up to $3,000 in receipts um, for people who were evacuated from uh, fire-torn areas, fire-affected areas, as well as the AFC will also um, support with a one-time $500 payment based on financial need. Wow. All of, yeah, all of those resources can be found um uh, on our on our website behind our members login and if you ever, you know, if there's people out there that have questions, please do give the hall a call. Now, did you attend the solidarity rally on August 25th that was at the art gallery? I sure did. Yeah, Ellie and I uh, Ellie Harvey and I both spoke um along with oh, we had a wonderful turnout and wonderful wonderful support from Suzanne Skidmore from the BC Federation of Labor, um, Rob Ashton, President, International President of the Longshoremen. Um, we had um, a, a 
Bonita Zarilla there. Uh, uh, politicians came, but more importantly, you know, the people came. There is, again, there is huge support for the striking workers. We are workers and we are all fighting for a fair and equitable contract uh, always when we're bargaining, but this goes deeper. And the people that showed up um, really understood that even though we are hurting across this province, in fact, across the globe, due to the global production slowdown in combination with the strikes, um, <clears throat> they understood uh, the the heart of labor is to to push these uh, contract issues forward and correct systemic inequities. And the systemic inequities that um, exist, particularly in streaming, um, which the AMPTP uh, like to call new media, and there's nothing new about it anymore, right? Um, and let me just pull pull back for just a second because, you know, new new media streaming doesn't uh, doesn't provide residuals, right? And so if we look at our IATSE kin in the states. Their health benefits plan, their pension plans are all funded on residuals. And mm -hmm. so when the bulk of, you know, the bulk of the money that our workers are making, um, you know, it's it's a lot of it's in streaming. And so and so some of these health plans aren't very healthy. And mm -hmm. so we look at how it also impacts the IATSE can it, it, you know, it it does have a very similar impact as as to the writers and the actors and of course both the writers and actors are dealing with additional issues on top of that um but the the real sentiment was yes i'm struggling yes uh i need to figure out how to pay my mortgage next month and i'm here for the fight i'm here to stand in solidarity mm -hmm. and so that was really inspiring is there anything in this in this time of labor action this time where you said only 400 members out of 10,000 are working. That is like an unexpected bright spot or an offers some kind of opportunity for your members? Yeah, so, you know, um, it's really hard to even say the word bright spot when we're in this situation um, because daily I'm fielding calls from from members that, that are in real need. Mm -hmm. um, what what is uh, you know I guess a, a way to get through this time um, is to take advantage of the training opportunities. Our training um, we have a training facility right next door to the hall here off Boundary Road. It has been full. Um, we have been putting on uh, as much skills upgrading courses and courses as we can for our members. Members are bringing course material to us. Members are developing course material, which is truly inspiring because they are. The subject matter experts, right? And they are the ones that will train, continue to train the next generation of film workers. And so um, that's that's been really inspiring. It's also been, you know, for myself as the business rep, I'm, my priority is getting our members to work. And I've really been leaning into uh, the domestic the domestic market and organizing non-union productions um, that could be shooting under an IA contract. And and right now it's so important because those hours count towards their health benefits. Those mm -hmm. hours count towards some very important, you know, um, very important programs that the union offers. And so um, I'm going I'm going to these producers, these production managers. I am, you know, 
working with them on agreements outside of what might be our traditional agreements. And that's okay. I can do that um, as the business rep. Um, and it's good to develop the Canadian market. I've been talking to a, a telephone production, um, really working with them and trying to nurture, you know, not just the fact that we are a wonderful foreign service production hub, but that we can also contribute to nourishing the, the Canadian talent that's here. Thing is, is we can do it without, you know, we can do it and still support the workers in mm in the most meaningful way without bankrupting a show or holding them to really impossible, you know, um, financial commitments, et cetera. Um, and this isn't, you know, this isn't to deplete the value of anybody's work. The fact is, is that our members are working on these shows anyways. Mm. They need and deserve a contract. Yeah. Is there anything that you think that people on the outside of this industry would be surprised to know about the labor action the sentiments or the sentiments behind it? Um, I think it's, you know, I think the most difficult, um, oh gosh, I think the most difficult thing to really impart is, is how, um, how bargaining actually really works. It, mm. It's um, unless you have actual training in collective bargaining and arts and entertainment, or you have experience, like I'm going into my eighth year of experiencing collective bargaining. And so you you really, um, after that much time and experience at the table, um, sitting across from the AMPTP, you, you really start to understand how entrenched um, a lot of the, a lot of the contract, um, a lot of the contract is. Uh, mm -hmm. And you understand it from a very layered perspective because there is history upon history upon history as to why certain decisions were made, particularly in BC. Um, we have what's called the BCCFU, which is the BC Council of Film Unions. And that consists of uh, IATC 891, uh, International Cinematographers Guild 669, and um, Teamsters uh, 155. And so we, the Labor Board, mandated that we have to bargain together. Yeah. Uh, with the AMPTP. And so that's um, that's a bit of a unique situation because the DGC, they negotiate on their own, the Directors Guild, as does um, UBCP ACTRA. Um, and so it, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of history there. And it's, uh, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to impart um, just how big some of our gains are when they look really small or, mm. Uh, you know, again, back to correcting systemic inequities with the new media, which is which is not new, right? So, um, I think that's the hardest thing to to really explain. And you really, um, unless you kind of dive into into some of the labor board decisions and and really want to get in there and dive in there and understand, um, you can't really impart all that history. But you can talk at a high level, kind of like like we're doing now. What message do you have for IATSE 891 members who are experiencing hardship during this labor action and have not yet reached out to, to 891, have not yet, you know, attended the education sessions and, you know, might be sitting there feeling a lot of a lot of stress and just kind of maybe over overwhelmed by, you know, the by all the hardships they're facing. What do you say to them? Well, you know, and I know it's really hard for people to reach out. So I can say, please reach out because I am here. Our senior steward, Amanda Bronswick, is here. 
our president, Mitch Davies, is here. We are always open and willing to talk. But, you know, I know that that can be uncomfortable. It's not easy to say, hey, um, I need to actually access the food bank. I don't know how. Um, uh, you know, these questions and, and there is no shame in asking for, for anything from your union. Um, we will give you the answers. You, you may or may not be able to utilize them. But, you know, if you are in a position where you are in need of help and perhaps don't want to call the union, take a look at the resources that we have online. Um, we have a, a very robust mental health um, services program through our benefits. And even if you are no longer on your benefits, you still have access to the mental health portion of it. Um, so you don't lose that. So I just want, I really want members to hear that. That is a portion of the, of the benefits that you don't lose. And there's also a call time mental health, which is a wonderful resource online that, that also lists a whole bunch of um, uh, supports for, for members and just in general entertainment workers. So you don't have to be a member to access some of those. Ellie Harvey is president of UBCP ACTRA, national counselor, an actor, and a past guest of the YVR Screen Scene podcast. It's right up there on her resume, I'm sure. <laughs> and I have invited Ellie back to the podcast to discuss the strike and its impact on our local film and television scene. Ellie. Hello, it's nice to be here. Thank you for doing this story. Ellie, how would you characterize the impact of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA labor actions on the Vancouver film and television industry? Well, first of all, unlike any other region in Canada, we are impacted the most. 90% hmm. uh, uh, of our production is U.S. service production. Uh, we have some TV movies here that are considered Canadian productions that are you know, local. Some of them are for American networks, but it's all Canadian companies, Canadian writers, uh, largely Canadian cast. These are the uh, productions that you're seeing the interim SAG agreement uh, mm -hmm. working uh, you know, in effect, um, but the vast majority of our work has come to a complete standstill. That is not the case in Toronto. Um, one of the biggest problems we've had uh, is getting our fair share of telefilm money and having Canadian production here. Most of the Canadian productions take place in Toronto, yeah. and so Toronto is not feeling the impact we are. Uh, and then the smaller regions like Alberta and you know certainly Manitoba, they don't have the uh, uh, amount of work we have, so they're not feeling the impact as we are as well. So, um, so it is a profound impact in our jurisdiction. And what about the impact on your members? Oh, well, I mean, uh, our members uh, need to work and they're working on the uh, movies of the week. I mean, I just got five days on a movie of a week, uh, but we have like so many, we've got stunts, we've got background. You're not gonna see a ton of stunts in those MOWs. Uh, you're not mm -hmm. going to see a ton of background used. Um, the bigger shows, the American shows that are here, use all our members and uh, you know have consistent work. And uh, so our members are feeling it. And uh, we've we've actually increased our payments to the Actors Fund of Canada, and we encourage our members who are experiencing financial difficulty to 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 access the Actors Fund. Um, I mean, I, I'm saying to my friends and family like. 
paint your house, take your holiday, visit family, like use this time in whatever way you can because uh, everything's going to be kind of shuttered down. Uh, the, the union has stopped spending money. Uh, the only thing we are continuing to spend money on is education mm. for our members because we feel like this is a good time for them to take classes. And so we haven't stemmed any funding for that. Yeah. And, um, and, and so those are continuing. We actually have more classes than ever being offered right now through the union. What is the general consensus at UBCP ACTRA with regards to the issues that the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are striking over? Okay, well, this is where it gets very tricky because uh, we have never received residuals uh, the way SAG has. Hmm. Uh, the old model was that, you know, you look at something like Friends or any successful show, they uh, get paid to do the episode and then they make just a ton of money on the residuals. Uh, we've never had residuals. We have what's called a, um, a prepayment uh, that covers four years and then any earnings after that, a percentage of that is paid back to our members. It's called royalties. Uh, but but it, it's a much different structure and one that is not remotely as lucrative. Mm. And Now the problem is uh, we're a small country, they're a big country. We had a TV film industry long before they ever came here, mm. and we had a contract under ACTRA. And, uh, and what happened was the American producers came here and accessed that contract and used us under our Canadian terms. And we didn't have any model for collecting residuals, so we accepted this prepayment, this buyout, it's been phrased in many ways, yeah. that would cover just the airing over a certain amount of years, and then it would resort to these royalties. Um, so, you know, what I think uh, the streamers want from SAG is what we have. Hmm. And it's considerably less than their earning. Hmm. So I understand their fight. Uh, we've never been able to make the money they have, so I can understand why they're putting their foot down and wanting to earn it. Uh, my understanding is this: the model we have is the same as the UK and the same as Australia. Um, but we, uh, th they're fighting for their residuals. They're fighting for some kind of fair compensation for streaming. So for example, I do a show here, I get paid my day rate, and I get my 130% buyout, or the buyout varies 110%, 105%, sometimes 75%, depending on where it's being uh, aired. And, um, and, then I, uh, and then that's it, until there's future sales past the, the four-year term. And, um, and so, uh, so that's, uh, that model would not work for an American successful show and nor should it. Mm -hmm. So if, let's say I do a show here, I get paid that, and then someone does like The Bear. They'd, you don't want on a show like The Bear, which honestly, I think it's the best thing I've seen in a long time. I'm just, I, <laughs> Episode two, six, episode no, seven? Episode seven, season two, it's just, oh. But, but I think that the, um, uh, it, you need to be compensated for the success of a show. SAG had that model, why would they let it go? I wish. When they started shooting here, I wish that, and when Global Rule 1 happened in 92 or whenever it was, mm. I wish they had included Canadian actors in American productions. Mm. Because it, by not doing so, there's this model that you know, the, the uh, broadcasters and producers see that they want to then pull into the States. But they're putting up a good fight. I hope it doesn't happen. I, I hope that they can maintain, and I hope that we can make gains in their direction. Yeah. It's going to be very hard because we've we've never had that kind of earning, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's it's a very tricky spot, very tricky spot for the Americans. 
And a very nuanced answer, uh, Ellie. Um, but I, I am glad to hear that UBCP ACTRA uh, is in solidarity, in spirit with, uh, with SAG-AFTRA, um, which you wouldn't have thought after the July 10th uh, open yeah. letter was released. Uh, I know how to do a segue, by the way. Yeah. So you might have you might have seen uh, in the media, capital T, capital M, uh, around July 10th, this uh, this open letter, this infamous open letter that was signed by 74 Canadian A-listers, mm -hmm. only seven of whom were UBCP actor members, and only right. five of whom were voting members, yeah. in which the signatories urged UBCP actor members to reject the one-year extension of their labor deal. Yeah. And there was coverage in like Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter and the consensus among those people signing it was like UBCP ACTRA is not in solidarity, you know, with the, you know, this with the yeah. strikers and Correct. you know, so what what did what did the letter get wrong? What assumptions, you know, did it make? Because um, I everything. Yeah. Um this is the world we live in where someone says something on social media and it's deemed to be true and everyone acts with outrage. Uh, the reality is we were approached by the producers because our, our agreement is to expire March 31st, 2024. Mm -hmm. Usually when you negotiate, you negotiate any time between September and February prior to that contract ending. So that would be in the dates. Now, the way BC labor law works is we all have to negotiate at the same time. So, and, and that was put into place by the producers in conjunction with the Labor Relations Board that we all, as an industry, have to negotiate our five contracts at the same time. So, we're and we're talking about the other unions that are in BC. Yes. And this is the way that we do things here in BC is not how they do things in, let's say, Ontario, where no. the bulk of the people no. sign this letter. Correct. Yeah. Um, but of course, being like everything in Ontario, they assume that they know everything right I mean like I've been a Westerner a long time I was born in Ontario but I get it so um, so because the five unions have to negotiate at the same time they approached all five of us about regarding the extension so then it was a matter of okay are we going to agree to this or not and there were varying views uh, to and not to but the, the general consensus was that it would be better for all our members to not have any labor disruption now what could have happened let's say that we were going to negotiate and it's now September, we would be getting no dates to negotiate right now because they're in a backlog. Not only have they uh, are they in a stall with WGA and SAG, but they haven't dealt with any of their local LA unions. They haven't dealt with the IATSE. They've got all kinds of contracts they have to have squared away. Mm -hmm. So we'd be on the pile of that. Um, so we, would, we wouldn't get to it. We would likely not get to it until the expiration of our contract. Now, when an ex a contract is expiring and a show like, and I like to use this as an example because this show is slated to come here, a show like The Last of Us, mm -hmm. which is an amazing show, mm -hmm. uses tons of stunts, background, local performers, like that's gonna be a big show for a lot of people. There's gonna be some of our newer performers who are gonna get recurring roles that are gonna make their career. Yeah. There are stunt people that are gonna be moved up to stunt coordinator. There are background that are gonna make a ton of money. It's a yeah. great show. So I look at something like that and I go, if I'm producing The Last of Us and it is now November and the BC unions aren't even slated to have their negotiations and their contract expires at the end of March, am I going to bring my show there? Hmm. No, and historically, it will show. Uh, his, uh, historically, when you look at the shows that come here, there is always a dip when it comes to our uh, negotiations. Especially since last time around, the DGC took a strike vote. So it, it, it's very um, 
we we knew that if we wanted to have any kind of sense of labor stability coming out of a period of not working due to the WGA strike and the SAG strike, we needed to extend the negotiations, extend the terms and conditions. And you know, 5% for not negotiating is pretty good. So so it was worth their while for their own, you know, uh, their own workload to extend a year, but it was certainly like it's worth our while to know that once those strikes are over, BC is a stable place to shoot. Cuz now we've extended everything a year. So when these talks come to an end, end of October, November, whenever it is, they can come right here and they don't have to worry that they're going to be facing another labor disruption. So I'm just confused. And why did why was this letter written then? This open letter from the because from the East Coast people don't peeps. read. Like yeah. that's the reality. I, I sent out a notice to our members. I can't remember the day. Um, and you know, I included a couple points saying it's five percent. You know, plus the other thing that works for us is we have a new board that's going to be elected in the fall, mm. and it gives them another year to get to know things before they're right in negotiations. So it kind of worked for us in that regard too. And I made those two points in the communication. Somebody took screen snapped it and sent it to deadline and then deadlines like unfortunately the timing just happened to be when they were when SAG uh, it came to a standstill and they were going to you know take a break but they were they hadn't gone on strike yet when they went on strike that was when um, uh, the letter came out and it, it was just so rife with misinformation it, it had nothing to do with the SAG strike it would have been maybe maybe a bit of a screw you to the to the AMPTP for you know just saying no to them if they wanted us to do that but it would be a hundred percent shooting ourselves in the foot mm. and as the person who represents our members I guarantee you SAG and DGA come to a conclusion the end of November they end up shooting moving to Alberta or Toronto where things likely do go when they don't shoot in Vancouver mm -hmm. you think those leads are going to go but BC, they stood up for us by shooting themselves in the foot. We're not going to shoot in Toronto or Alberta. No, they're going to go where, the, and you know what? And SAG, of course, they're going to do what's right for their members. Yeah. That's what we as union leaders do. I, as a union leader, was doing what was right for my members in our jurisdiction. And those people that uh, signed that, first of all, weren't my members, Yeah. didn't understand BC labor law, and didn't even understand our film community. So, you know, I, I, I took great exception to the arrogance and the uh, the privilege that they came from being successful and having a name and not even having the, you know, the, the, the integrity to read what they were signing, you know, to understand what they were signing their name to. So, yeah, I, I take great issue. I've reached out to a few of them. They've not re replied to me, and I think because they're embarrassed, and they should be. Yeah. What impact do you think this letter had on your membership? Well, they felt, you know, they bought into it too. There was a whole bunch of misinformation that we had two town halls and we just calmly stated the facts like I did to you earlier. I mean, uh, people are so quick to just uh, to throw leadership under the bus these days. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, I don't know whether it's Trump or, or you know, uh, social media, but it's just like there's an idea that they're somehow getting screwed around by their leaders. And it's almost like they were treating us, like our leadership, me and, and our leaders, like we were the producers screwing them or something, yeah. you know? And it was like, I'm 
I'm auditioning right beside you and I'm actually reading everything. So maybe listen to what I'm saying, yeah. right? You, you know what, it blew over, it was clickbait. I think that a lot of the people that signed it were, uh, the people who initiated it were from Toronto. There are people who, you know, I, I think I know who they are, but they're anonymous. So, you know, there's that whole thing like, oh, you're so brave, anonymous people. Um, but they reached out to people they knew and asked them to sign and I don't think they knew what they were signing, a lot of them. Yeah. And, um, and so it's blown over, but so much of everything around this is clickbait it's just getting headlines to make drive traffic to sell advertising and i really just encourage our members just to go to the meetings like come to the meeting hear what's going on and trust your leaders and if you don't trust your leaders run run i understand that there was a very well attended very emotional uh solidarity rally yep. on august 25th at the vancouver art gallery yep. Tell me about some of the, the stories or sentiments that were shared that day. Well, you know, we're just a little union. We're 8,000, 8,300 members. SAG is 160,000 members in America who own this industry, right? Yeah. Um, we know that any gain they make is going to impact performers worldwide. Yeah. We know that it's very hard uh, to turn down the money they're turning down right now, to turn down the opportunities they're turning down right now, to get these, uh, you know, to make uh, these changes that are necessary. AI and putting fences around it is uh, crucial. Yeah. The use fees that they have lost, like, uh, profoundly is crucial. So any advancements they make in those areas are going to help performers worldwide. So there's a real kind of... Uh, you know, deference to that, that that we understand that what they're doing is huge. Mm. And writers too, I mean, the writers, writers go so much more um, unseen because, you know, Fran Drescher gets up there and we all know her and she's a wonderful speaker and passionate and and the writers, you know, they're, they, I read their stuff and it's good, but but they kind of go under the radar. But these, the, the writers, like really what they're offering in payment is essentially, uh, you know, you have to be a barista at Starbucks to also be writing, you know, to have the to have the uh, the freedom to go and come as a writer, yeah. but you don't get paid a, a career salary and you're working on one of the biggest shows that's streaming. It, it's outrageous, it's outrageous. But that's what the world has become, just uh, uh, the, the, the top boards telling their managers to, you know, tighten their belts. And so what do they do? They, they put squeeze labor. It's just squeezing labor, squeezing labor, squeezing labor to get all their, you know, now, we're, now we'll use fewer background, we'll, we'll pay them less, we'll use, you know, we'll pay the writers less, we'll pay everyone less so that we can maintain our profits at Prime and at Netflix and at Disney. Mm. And uh, and that's that's what they're standing up for. And it, I think it, it, it extends past the film industry too. It really is, it's workers' rights. I, I say this as the, um the granddaughter and great-granddaughter of union founders and union agitators yeah. but i find that also very exciting yes. you know that it that this is you know as dire as as things are you know and as and the hardship that you know the workers are you know are experiencing you know during this time that this is also this is we will come out of this better because of these yeah. labor disruptions you know it's exciting to be part of this time it, as well. It is, it is, and it's also, you know, we are gig workers. 
you know, yeah. it's going to hurt us for a couple of years. Guess what? We hurt all the time. Right? <laughs> We're used to hurting for a couple of years. Like we'll figure it out. Yeah. There, people are, you know, doing Uber Eats and waiting on tables and doing what they have to, teaching classes, whatever, to, to get buys. And that's what they do all the time. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, they're gonna they're gonna see their profits shrink, but we're gonna see, uh, we're just gonna see that we have to wait out a little longer. Is, is there anything in this, in this labor action that can be interpreted as like an unexpected bright spot or an opportunity for your members? You know, you, you had mentioned that there's a lot of education, you yeah. know, things that are happening right now at the union. Is there, is there anything else that is? Yeah, I mean, uh, industry-wide, what we're all kind of realizing is that we need more Canadian productions here. Like that's the big thing that's left with us. It's great being a service town. You know, the, the, um, the opportunities are great. The money's great. The learning is great. Um, the exposure is great, but uh, we need to have Canadian shows here, yeah. and currently there are like there are about uh, three three shows right now that are Canadian series that just started up. So, um, and I know that three doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot it's considering a lot. what we've had. Yeah, like those are series. We still got <laughs> yeah. the MOWs, but. Um, but it, it, it is, it, we do have a lot of talent and it would be great to have some of it developed here instead of, you know, we, we lost uh, uh, Jared and all the boys from Letterkenny uh, to Toronto because yeah. of their tax credit, that they had a 25% all in and we only have a 33% of labor. Mm. Um, it was more lucrative for them. So uh, so yeah, we, we want stuff shot here. Yeah. So we're not so dependent on uh, a foreign country. What message do you have to UBCP ACTRA members who are experiencing hardship, be it financial, mental health hardship? Yeah. Uh, you're not alone and it's really tough. Yeah. Uh, if you're having financial crisis, contact the AFC. Um, AFC Navigator is a system where you get in there. If you need to, someone to walk you through on the phone, they will uh, to help you you know, pay your bills if you're having a hard time making rent. Um, and th they have emergency funding. And we support that and we keep our eye on it. We, we don't want to, the reason we don't directly do it is because we don't want to collect the, you know, financial information of our members. It's a mm. violation of, person, of uh, you know, of uh, privacy. So they have vetting processes that we utilize and then we, you know, fund that. But, uh, but the other thing I would say is come to, read your emails, come to the AGM, uh, come to the membership meeting so you can connect with other people, so you can ask your questions. Um, it's funny because I'm, I'm really at the end of my terms uh, in the union. Uh, I'll be, I'm winding it down this term. And I feel like I finally got it. <laughs> like the two town halls that we did, uh, I felt like, oh, town halls are the way to go. Because we had a lot of disruption with the anti-vaccine mandate. We had mm. a lot of disruption with the self-tape people who wanted to, and there was so much disinformation and we were trying to send out emails. And, and really just like a town hall where you bear out the information and you let everyone talk till they're talked out is the way to go. Yeah. So I would just say to members, just you know, uh, read your emails, take the classes, come to the meetings uh, and uh, and hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are fans of the shows that are shot here in, right. in yeah. Vancouver and the films that are shot here in Vancouver. And there's a lot of um, support and spirit, you know, from from these fans, nice. you know. But is there anything else that, that people who are on the outside of the industry can do to show support for our homegrown industry during this time of labor disruption? Yeah, I mean, you could always 
you could always send an email to Telefilm saying, uh, why aren't there more shows shooting in Vancouver? Mm-hmm. Um, to people who are more broadly you know, international and they're supporting the American shows, keep your eye on any of the SAG-AFTRA um, hashtags and promote them. Like social media is really where the eyes are yeah. and the more visibility you can give to supporting any of their hashtags is good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so just keep supporting there. Uh, and then you can, uh, letters. I mean, you see what fans do for TV shows to get them back on the air. I mean, you know, if you can write to Disney and go, why aren't you sharing fairly with your, you know, the money you make to Netflix? Why don't you, why don't you tell performers how much uh, their shows are viewed? Like they literally are under no obligation to report at all how many eyeballs have been on a show. Wow. And that's just, and that's because that was considered digital new media when the contracts were for TV and film. So now everything has moved over, but the payment model hasn't. It's still this digital media. Well, we don't have to tell you, it's digital, right? So uh, it has to change, yeah. It has to change and it will change. Hi, my name is Rob Trendiak, and I'm a photographer here in Vancouver. When the film strikes in Hollywood first took place, I knew people who instantly lost work overnight. These are film industry peers, friends, and even family members. They all had work lined up for the fall of 2023. Overnight, all of that work just went away. So I wanted to do something to tell their story of how the strikes in Hollywood are affecting them here in Canada. I named my photography project Anacron. Anachron comes from the word anachronistic, meaning old traditions conflicting with new ideas. This sums up why the screenwriters and actors in Hollywood are on strike. Hollywood studios need to update their old ways of functioning to adapt to newer technologies such as streaming services and artificial intelligence. While talking with film industry peers, I began to realize just how dire the situation was for Canadian film cast and crew members. Work that was scheduled for the fall disappeared overnight. People instantly out of work suddenly needed to find employment. I wanted to document this by capturing the full story of the strikes in Hollywood. To achieve this, I photographed the portraits through the lens of a TLR camera, which is a twin lens reflex, the brand name Chiroflex. It's from the 1940s. I photographed through that old TLR camera with my digital camera focused on the viewing glass of the old camera. The old camera represents the old ideologies of Hollywood and filmmaking. The newer digital camera that I used to actually capture the portraits represents modern technologies currently used to produce the films. I honestly didn't even know if anyone would be interested in participating in the series as they may think I'm crazy for creating images with such a heavy aesthetic. To my surprise though, every single person was absolutely thrilled to participate. They loved the story. They loved the process. Everybody was very excited to be part of Anacron. I also met so many new people. I started shooting my friends and my peers who I already knew in the film industry, but word quickly spread and I ended up shooting 20 people within the week. Thank you for listening to my story on the film strikes. Even though I'm not a union member, I think this is a valuable part of the story where the community came together to create a real cool piece of art and 
used the asset of time that we all have now that the industry is currently really slow. I truly believe where there is chaos, there's opportunity. And so we took the opportunity to create some cool art. For more information about Rob Trendiac's Anacron, visit robtrendiac.com. Thank you to Michelle Muldoon, Crystal Bronworth, Ellie Harvey, and Rob Trendiac for contributing to today's episode. You can find a full list of financial and mental health resources in the episode footnotes on the YVR Screen Scene site. Thank you for joining us today. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Rani Firminger, and edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Devley, for the original music. Wabier Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at Wabier Screen Scene and at Sabrinarf, on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts for free, and at our home on the web at wabierscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short, or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.